0: There was a specific reason why Elon bought 9%, but that was almost four or five times what, well, four and a half times what Jack Dorsey, the founder and CEO of Twitter, once owned and still owns to this day 2%. So It wasn't like the board and Twitter's CEO were really, really invested in the company. As a matter of fact, dude, like if you look at some of the people on the board at at Twitter, I don't think any of them actually tweet or use the platform. How are you going to be on the board of Twitter? You're supposed to be, you know, I guess, giving their management team oversight and strategic direction. How are you going to give them that? I mean, I guess you could you could help the day to day operations and running a company and blah, 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 blah. But if you don't know fundamentally how the company works and you're not engaging fundamentally, there is a material disconnect there. relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's The Higher Standard. Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is The Higher Standard. I am your host, Chris. Let's jump right into the good stuff. We've caught up with a backlog of 20-minute solo episodes and interviews, so the good news is that all the content you get from this point forward should be significantly more fresh and gives me the ability to give you some stuff that, you know, really is current. So one of the things in the current events world that I really wanted to talk about was Elon Musk, SpaceX SpaceX and Tesla CEO, Elon Musk, you know, I know, we all know, has reached a deal to buy Twitter for about $44 billion, but the media isn't reporting on the entire story. And I don't know if it's Because people don't really understand how taking a public company private really works, or if they don't care, or if it's just the sensationalness of all this money being put out there—that's all people really care about. But I thought there's a little bit more here to unpack, and a good 20-minute solo like this will give us the opportunity to kind of talk about some of the logistics that are really going without anybody talking about. So, a little history here—if you followed it, this is still worthwhile for you because I get into some details that I think are also being left out by the media, but. Before Musk can take over, the the largest shareholder was Vanguard Group, a little more than 10% stake in Twitter, according to CNN Business, I think it was. Other top institutional investors were Morgan Stanley Investment Management and BlackRock Fund Advisors and all the names you would know. But Morgan Stanley is important, and I'll circle back to that later on. Most of Twitter was owned by private companies and investment groups. And this was kind of shocking to me, Jack Dorsey, the former, uh, well, the founder, and the former CEO of Twitter, was previously Twitter's largest individual shareholder before Musk bought his interest when he he had, I think, totally invested of 2% of the company's stock, according to Bloomberg, when I dug that up and did some homework for this episode. I'm equally as shocked as you are that I did some homework for an episode, but nonetheless, dude only owned 20%. You're Jack Dorsey. You're the CEO at the time of Twitter and of Square, and you only own 2% of the company. That That was kind of shocking to me. So by way of example of how much Elon Musk bought in for, he bought in for originally nine point two percent stake. That was his that was his original buy in price when he didn't know what he was going to do next, or if there was going to be a leverage buyout or hostile takeover or whatever. So that much stock got him an offer from the board to be on the board of Twitter, which he I think he said yes to, and then ultimately declined, probably because he decided that a leverage buyout was the way he wanted to go. But the 9% mark for stock ownership is really, really important, and that's probably a different podcast episode for a different day on why holders of 9% in stock of more in a company have a different level of scrutiny, but we'll get into that on a different episode. Suffice it to say, there was a specific reason why Elon bought 9%, but that was almost four or five times what, well, four and a half times, what Jack Dorsey, the founder and CEO of Twitter once owned and still owns to this day 2%. So it wasn't like the board and Twitter's CEO were really, really invested in the company. As a matter of fact, dude, like if you look at some of the people on the board at, at Twitter, I don't think any of them actually tweet or use the platform. How are you going to be on the board of Twitter? You're supposed to be, you know, I guess giving their management team oversight and strategic direction. How are you going to give them that? I mean, I guess you could you could help the day to day operations and running a company and blah 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 blah. But if you don't know fundamentally how the company works and you're not engaging fundamentally, there's a material disconnect there. But, well, whatever. I mean, look, if Jack Dorsey, who has come out since this this whole thing with Twitter started, came out and said that the board is part of the problem, so that shouldn't really be a surprise to anybody. And and frankly, that's probably what led so much of the way for Elon Musk to have this opportunity, and I don't think the media is talking enough about how dysfunctional the company was. According to National World, when the deal is finalized, Twitter will offer a, quote, tender offer to investors to have their shares bought out at a price agreed upon by Twitter and Musk. However, Nation World reports that the majority of the investors will receive automatic payouts when the company is privatized, the money deposited into the account that was used to purchase the stock. Under the current agreement with Twitter and Musk, shareholders would get $54.20 each share of Twitter stock they own. So then the company will effectively be private. But this is not as simple as just putting money in shareholders' accounts, okay? You have to have some approvals along the way. And I'm using the word approval with Bunny. Here's quotes here. So Elon Musk will have a final opportunity to check the books. Keep in mind, Twitter is a publicly traded company. But unlike its peers, Meta, TikTok, uh, Snapchat that are profitable, this was a shocker to me because I hadn't really kept up with Twitter in a long time. Twitter is not profitable. Twitter's not making money. So were there other buyers out there? Were there not? I highly doubt that because who, from an investment banking perspective, wants to buy his company as old as Twitter is, as old as their demographic is, that's still not making money. There's clearly some leadership issues there. There's clearly some just business structure problems there. So Elon Musk buying this was really not at a quote investment decision, at least not on the, on, the, on the top surface level. This was more of a freedom of speech, political direction, wanting influence and control decision. So after Elon Musk checks the books of this publicly traded company, it's got SEC reporting financials. It's unlikely he's going to find anything there that doesn't necessarily line up with what he thought he was buying. Regulators from the US's FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and the European Commission must review the deal in order to make sure there's no antitrust laws that are being broken in the acquisition. Typically speaking, I would say that's a no brainer, easy approval. But Elon Musk also owns SpaceX and Tesla. I don't know that they're going to come after him for a quote monopoly or some undue control. Then that's really what antitrust laws are really, really about at its core. There's more there. So don't DM me or send me emails talking about antitrust laws. I don't care. But essentially, he'll probably get the approval, uh, but it won't be fast. I mean, you're talking six months for this process to happen. So what, what what happens in the next six months? Well, the news media will fade. There'll be some approvals along the way. You'll probably hear about them. But this will take a while. What, what this means for Twitter in the interim is you've got employees who know that a new CEO is coming in. Things are going to change, but don't really know what that means. They don't even know if Elon Musk is going to be the CEO. As it stands right now, Musk could appoint somebody else to run his social media company or find somebody he thinks has subject matter expertise. The guy already runs Tesla and SpaceX. Does he really need another CEO seat? Probably, probably not likely that he's going to be able to run all three effectively. He's going to need to appoint some new people there. So if you're management in that company, you're like, shit, I'm going to lose my job. If you're on the board there, you're like, shit, I'm out. So for the next six months, there's not going to be new rollouts at Twitter. There's not going to be new features coming out. Everything's going to be put on pause until this is all done because nobody wants to upset the new buyer, Elon Musk. I've said it before. I'll say it again. There really weren't any buyers out there. This whole thing was posturing by the board saying poison pill and all this stuff you heard in the media. There were rumors at one point in time that Cisco... Possibly private equity firms were looking to jump in, but there really could not have been true because they didn't even have the ability to really negotiate with Elon Musk about price. And keep in mind, Elon Musk was paying above what the then current stock price was, but lower than it had been historically. This is also a company that, again, is not profitable. So who is really going to compete with them? So you're buying Twitter for its intellectual property and its potential to make money, but you would have to do some things that the current management and board were unable to do in order to turn a profit there. Well, Profit's going to be important for Elon Musk, and not enough people are talking about this. And I'm going to explain how some of these larger you know, picture deal items are, are overlooked, right? So it's kind of complicated. Elon Musk, who owns SpaceX and Tesla, is the richest man in the world, according to Forbes, with a $300 billion fortune, blah, blah, blah. We already know that. But even with his billions, Musk needed some help scraping together the $44 billion for the biggest privatization, I think, in, in decades. there has been bigger. I think Carl Icahn did some bigger stuff back in the day, but I mean this is, this is pretty big. This is, this is definitely top 10 in my mind of taking of a public company private, especially one as high profile as Twitter. It's, it's report, he's reportedly using his own cash for about two thirds of the purchase price, including $21 billion in cash. I don't know the day will ever come where I'll be able to use a billion dollars of my own cash for something like that, but that's, that's just a crazy number to read and a crazy number to to be able to use. But another $12.5 billion in shares of Tesla will be used to secure loans from several banks, including Morgan Stanley and Bank of America. So Morgan Stanley not only owns Twitter stock, but they're also financing the buyout of Twitter stock, which will ultimately pay them as one of the largest holders of Twitter. So that's where that all comes back kind of full circle. They have a vested interest in this possibly being the best exit for them on the holder of stock side, as well as making money on the interest and loan on the front side. The remaining money comes from Twitter's assets. In a situation like this, Musk is buying the company in what's called a quote leverage buyout. Basically, that's a corporate buyout using mainly loans or bonds, in this case, loans. By doing a leverage buyout, Musk can use the assets of the company he's acquiring, Twitter, As collateral for the remaining loans. So effectively, what he's been able to do is he's been able to get loans on his Tesla stock, use billions of dollars in cash that he had laying around. It still hurts me to say that, but it's true. And then he was able to leverage the remaining value that's in Twitter, even though they're not making money, their company has value. So they're they're going to take a collateral position in the assets of Twitter, and they're going to give him the remaining cash that he needs to close the deal. So again, paraphrasing about $21 billion uh, loan from Morgan Stanley and Bank of America, largely uh, one company. So it's the same company. Borrowed against his own Tesla stock for about 12 and a half. And then he has about um, $13 of his own cash. So he has to pay the debt on all of that money. Anything he didn't pay in cash, if he borrowed on his Tesla stock, he has to pay down he has to pay a, a monthly payment. He has to pay some kind of payment on that. Now there might be some interest only terms or things like that to make it, the payments a little lighter on him because you're talking billions of dollars in loans and billions of dollars in payments. I will say his Tesla stock has probably got a much lower interest rate than the loan uh, on you know on, on Twitter's assets and things of that nature. But whatever the blended debt payment is, whatever his blended monthly payment is on all of this debt, he's got to find a way to turn Twitter profitable and make those payments. That's a lot of damn money. So the way it works now at Twitter is they're making money. They're just not making enough money to cover their debt. So he's going to have to find a way to reduce their existing debt. He's going to have to find a way to improve and increase their amount of revenue coming in. And then whatever the difference is between that, he's got to have enough left over from that to pay down all the debt that he took on to take this company and make it private because he is the owner now, not the public. So why buy Twitter? Man, I've been going over my head of this uh, over and over and over again. I don't really necessarily know that there's a straightforward answer other than you know, just some righteous nature. But what I will tell you is most people are not on Twitter. If you look at the demographics, and I spent some time last night, again, doing homework, shocker, researching why the hell he would buy Twitter, anybody would buy Twitter. What I can tell you is the platform is for older people. I mean, I don't want to be uh, ageist, I guess, but unless you're an insider like in business or journalism or politics or maybe even cryptocurrency now, it's generally for older people with a bigger audience that want a unilateral way to put out a message, right? We all know how Twitter works: tweet something. But for most of us, that's probably not really useful. I mean, even for me with as little social media following as I have, I look at it and I think to myself, is there really value going into me putting out a message here because there's not a lot of people taking it in on the Twitter platform versus platforms like Instagram or platforms like TikTok or even YouTube. But that that demographic has value largely because journalism and politics are so intertwined there and some business as well, popular um, well-known business people, that it's not uncommon to see headlines, right? You see headlines in the news, CNN, CNBC, I don't care what you watch or what your political spin is, but you'll often see someone's tweet, literally screenshot and quoted or you know, referenced in, in outward media. So that there, there is a, an avenue to not only being a platform for freedom of speech, but essentially what Elon Musk has bought is influence and power. He can now control the ecosystem where the media lives and then often amplifies those signals from. So he knows that he's not necessarily owning a media outlet. He's owning a free speech platform but free speech can be very very challenging right that's algorithmic based you can't monitor everything on twitter and everything on the internet you have to you have to find a way to to match that balance so i mean how, how does he calibrate what he interprets to be free speech cuz he said he wants you know he wants to invite president trump back who was banned from twitter at one point and he wants to he wants to have a total platform of free speech. Well, the problem with free speech is you you can get people who say some very hurtful, wrong, mean, malicious things, and then where do you ban stuff? I mean, you you try to echo the Constitution. The you know, hurtful, hurtful speech, things that are likely to cause physical harm. How do you gauge that? How do you how do you gauge what's considered crazy or sane? That that becomes a very troubling and challenging thing to do. And as much as I would love to criticize uh, social media platforms for how and what they do, I will say this. I will say it is incredibly difficult for, for any platform to to really take on that amount of responsibility. If you're doing it with 10 people, sure, you could probably do it you know, with human oversight, but you're really talking about algorithms. And yeah, sure. Elon Musk is probably the guy to work with algorithms and work with AI and leverage his technology and his engineering backgrounds and, and his creative backgrounds to come up with a, a a fancy solution. But as of right now, I don't know that, that anybody has ever found a, a good way to, to calibrate what should be free speech and what's not, going all the way back to the Constitution. Uh, some things to think about that he's suggested that he's going to do, though, that I think might be impactful to solving that problem and may turn Twitter around. He's already said that he hates advertising, but Twitter's largest source of revenue is, in fact, Advertising dollars selling ads, right? And we've all seen it. You know, I think I saw one today about Dr. Pepper has a new flavor out that's got some berry thing to it. And I got to be honest, I'm, I'm considering trying it, even though I don't, I don't really drink that stuff very often. But, uh, you know, the ads work. He doesn't like it. I get why it takes away from the authenticity of the message. And it certainly doesn't feel genuine when you're scrolling through and you see like this ad pop up. I would also say that people who produce video content or picture content as much as Twitter's been used for that it really isn't its main amplification its main amplification is just words it's still those short you know statements that really that really resonate with twitter so i think opening the algorithm up and telling people how it works and how things get pushed and how things get promoted and and really making it transparent will help deliver on the free speech message but what musk has said that i found fascinating is is that he wants to verify everyone. And at first, everyone's like, oh my God, cool, I'll get a little blue check mark next to my name. But that's so empowering. And I wanted to explain a little bit why that's huge. If you recall during the last election, there were lots of known bots or alternative actors who were out there trying to change the narrative. And there is a lot of political debate whether you know Trump was being helped by Russia or not. And I'm not getting into any of that. But what I will say is it's known that foreign states, meaning different countries, will come in and they will try to send a message on Twitter or try to create or curate a message on platforms like Twitter, like Instagram, all these places in which they can spin and change the public perception to benefit them. This is why war is not really what's going on in Russia anymore in the Ukraine, which is a sad, unfortunate set of events that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. But real war is being fought every single day in a new Cold War type type action where we're not worried about somebody sending nukes. We're worried about them trying to manipulate the ether, trying to change the, the zeitgeist online of what we're saying and what we're thinking and how we're doing it via, via these bots and these large groups that are sending out messages and, and trying to send Frankly, uh, I guess you want to call it spin. So, if you were to verify everyone's account, right, get their driver's license, their ID, or whatever forms you can actually verify there's a human at the end of it, you can still keep accounts anonymous, but you know who owns that account. It's a quote verified check next to it. You can also have your name, obviously, like I do for all my handles. And people can know that you're authentic because you have the check mark next to you. But most importantly, they know that people without that check mark, because it will be much more prevalent are not verified. And those are likely bots, and those are likely foreign bad actors. I guess the question then becomes, does that cut back on all of this rhetoric that is influencing and changing the way people speak and act and think versus what's going on now? Does, Does that really change how how people are going to be willing to speak. Now, I'll tell you right now, if, if someone's name or someone's account was attached to a name and they were really worried about them being exposed, I think that would. I think that would change the landscape. Does that mean that people in in Russia who have bad intentions to try to manipulate the media can't can't get on, on Twitter? No, they absolutely can, but they'll be attached to an ID and verified somehow that, that Twitter will have to take on the responsibility of figuring out. But I think that will be the first step in calibrating that that freedom of speech is if you make sure that people that speaking are real and are doing something and have, you know, IDs and you verified who they are and they have an account that you can essentially stop them from recreating if they do something wrong and do get banned from the platform. I think that's much, much, much more powerful. Uh, it's, it's easy with celebrities to say, Oh, we're going to ban this celebrity or ban this politician or ban this person because you know, unequivocally they are who they are and they're behind the accounts, but so much of what is spun up and, put out on the web is done by anonymous accounts and i think the anonymity while it enables people to speak a little more freely might be too free at some point and i don't really know what the answer to that is the other thing he can do is provide a subscription-based service there's i think twitter blue right now it's a cheap fee but i think uh maybe being a paid subscription opening up the the back-end api giving advertisers access to it the same way uh, i want to say uh, Meta does with Instagram and Facebook might be one way, but there's a lot of things changing and coming in the future for Twitter, and I really do think that it'll be an interesting way to see how a billionaire like Elon Musk, who is not attached to social media in the in, in his wealth creation, he's attached to it, and now he's taken on a tremendous amount of debt, and he has to find a way to make this work. Can he go against the grain of Meta? of Snapchat, of Twitter, uh, I'm sorry, of um, TikTok and find a way to be distinctly different and improve the user experience for you, for me, for everybody? Can it be a more authentic platform? As of right now, I think we can all say that social media can be very toxic and there are a lot of negatives that go with the positives. If you can just eliminate half those negatives and improve some of the positives, I think you've got an ecosystem that people will buy into. But it remains to be seen. I know there's a lot of people who are really, really, really scared about the idea of a billionaire buying this and and controlling what is, quote, free speech, but it will be a private company as well. And that's something for everybody else to think about. This is one person owns this. One man owns this. He can essentially do whatever he wants. And as the, way the laws are written right now, whether we like it or not. This, this is not a platform where anybody can mandate what free speech is. You are not constitutionally protected the same way in a private company. You don't have a right to access it. You can be banned as exhibited by President Trump when Twitter was owned in public, a public company at that point in time as well. It's not owned by the government. So it's a very, very interesting, I guess, change in the landscape. And it definitely could have implications for not only what we think of as free speech, but how the laws are written and how social media companies are governed, frankly. You know, is this the same thing as me going to a park and having a conversation with a group of people? Because that's what the constitution contemplated because this technology wasn't around back then. Whatever the case may be, it'll be at least six months before you see any of the approvals, five, six months, before you see any of the approvals come down, before you start to see any kind of impacts. And then I would imagine in between that time, And that rollout, you'll see uh, Elon Musk talking a little bit about it and about some of the changes that he's going to implement quickly and then some of them that are going to take a little bit longer. I hope this was helpful and insightful. I think a lot of people are talking about this in short two, three minute clips on, on CNBC and all the major news outlets, but they're not really addressing the fact that there's still some business to be done here before this is closed, that there are ramifications both from the constitutional and freedom of speech perspective, but also from just a finance perspective for Elon Musk as well. This is going to be a very complex thing. Frankly, this could wind up being a resounding success for the man or a resounding and super expensive failure. So kudos to him for having the, uh, the, the balls to do it. I, I don't know that I would with a platform that's not profitable and been uh, challenged as long as Twitter has. So thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. We need more subscribers. Please subscribe. Please send to your friends. Please share. It's what really gets the message out there. I can go on other people's podcasts and I can promote, but nothing says this is a good show better than you telling somebody you heard a show and you liked it and there were some interesting things in it. Hey, I think you should listen. So do that. We'll catch you next week. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you were listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts.